Chapter Five of the Great White Queen by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Five, The Giant's Finger. For quite three weeks we pushed forward through the interminable forest until one day we came to a small village beyond which lay a great broad river glistening in the noonday sun. It was the mighty Como we had entered the kingdom of Anno. In the village I saw traces of human sacrifices, and Omar, in reply to a question, told me that although these happy-looking natives were very skillful weavers and dyers who did a brisk trade in foo, a bark cloth of excellent quality, which I found afterwards they manufactured from the bark of a tree apparently of the same species as the much-talked-of roko of Uganda, they nevertheless, at the death of a chief, sacrificed some of his slaves to water the graves, while the memory of the departed was also honored with gross orgies which lasted till everything edible and drinkable in the village was consumed. We only remained there a few hours, then embarked in three large canoes that were moored to the bank awaiting us. The chief of the village came to pay his respects to Omar, as the son of a ruling monarch, and presented us with food according to the usual custom. Soon, amid the shouts of the excited villagers who had all come down to see us start, our canoes were pushed off, and the carriers, glad to be relieved of their packs, took the paddles, and away we went gaily up the center of the winding river. Emerging as suddenly as we had from the gloomy forest depths where no warmth penetrated, into the blazing tropical sun was a sudden change that almost overcame me, for as we rode along without shelter, the rays beat down upon us mercilessly. The banks were for the most part low, although it was impossible to say what height they were because of the lofty hedges of creeping plants, which covered every inch of ground from the water's edge to as high as fifty feet above in some places, while behind them towered the black-green forest with here and there bunches of brilliant flowers or glimpses of countless gray trunks. Sometimes these trees, pressing right up to the edge of the warm sluggish water, grew horizontally to the length of fifty feet over the river. Creepers, vines, whip-like calamus, twisting lions, and great serpent-like convivaldi grew in profusion over everything, while the eye caught glimpses everywhere of gorgeous clouds of insects, gaily-plumaged birds, paroquets, and monkeys swinging in their shaded bowers. Basking on the banks were crocodiles and hippopotami, while the river itself swarmed with fish and water-snakes. And over all rose the mist caused by heat and moisture, the death-dealing miasma of that tropic world. But all were in good spirits, for rowing was more pleasurable than tramping in that dismal, monotonous, primeval forest that rose on either side. Therefore against the broad, slowly flowing waters our carriers bent to their paddles, grinning and joking the while. Throughout that day Kawaga sat near us, smoking and thinking. Perhaps the responsibilities of state weighed heavily upon him. Perhaps he was contemplating with trepidation the passage that would be necessary through a country held by the enemies of Mo. At all events he was morose and taciturn, his dark face bearing a strange, stern look such as I had never before noticed. During the weeks I had been traveling up country, I had embraced every opportunity of improving my knowledge of the curious language spoken by Omar and his mother's subjects, until I found I could understand a large portion of a conversation, 
and could even give directions to our carriers in their own tongue. Omar was in high spirits, eager, it seemed, to return to his own people. He took a gun and some ammunition from one of the cases that Kuwaga had conveyed from England, and gave us an exhibition of his skill with the rifle. He was a dead shot. I had no idea he could aim so true. As we sped past in our canoe, he would raise his weapon from time to time and pick off a bird upon the wing, or fire directly into the eye of some basking animal, causing it to utter a roar, lash its tail, and disappear to die. He seldom missed, and the accuracy of his name elicited from the sable rowers low grunts of admiration. A lazy and enjoyable week we thus spent in the ascent of the Como, mostly through forest scenery or undulating grasslands. By day our rowers bent with rhythmic music to their paddles, and at evening we would disembark, cook our food, and afterwards with Kuaga and my friend I would sleep in our canoe upon the heap of leopard skins that formed our couches. Here we were free from the pest of the myriad insects we had encountered in the forest, and at night, under the brilliant moon, the noble river and giant trees presented a fine picture of solitary grandeur. Onward we pressed through the flourishing country of the Jiminy, where we saw many prosperous villages of large roomy houses of rectangular form and reed thatched, wide tracts under cultivation with well-kept crops of cotton and rice. Everywhere we passed without opposition and with expressions of goodwill from the natives. One evening, when the blood-red sun had sunk low in the water behind us, we suddenly rounded a sharp bend of the river, and there burst upon us, rising on our right high into the clouds, the great snow-capped crest of Mount Kimono. Near its base it was hidden by a bank of cloud, but above all was clear and bright, so that the summit had the appearance of being suspended in mid-air. The giant's finger at last cried Omar, jumping up excitedly and pointing at the mountain. We leave the river a little higher up, and push again across the bush a twelve days' journey, until we come to the Volta, which will take us forward to the boundary of Mo. The Volta, I cried, remembering the incident at school when he had answered correctly the master's question as to the estuary of that river, and had been dubbed the guinea pig. Why could we not have ascended it from the sea? Because we should, by doing so, pass nearly the whole distance through the country of Crempe of Ashante, one of our bitter foes. The Adu, the Anno, and the Jiminy kings have long ago made blood brotherhood with our chiefs. Therefore we are enabled to pass in peace by this route alone. Before darkness fell we disembarked at a small village on the left bank, the name of which I learnt was Tambura, and after our evening meal we were given a hut in which to spend the night. Soon after dawn, however, we heard Kuaga astir, giving rapid orders to the carriers, and when we went out to go down to the canoes they were nowhere to be seen. We noticed, however, that the carriers were preparing their loads which they had no doubt landed during the night, and Omar, advancing towards the Grand Vizier, asked, Why do we not ascend the river further? We must cross to the other side if we would join the Great Salt Road. Dangers lurk there, O oh my master, the Negro answered, hitching his burnous about his shoulders. We must travel by a circuitous route. Did not my mother command me to speed on to her? Omar asked, puzzled. Is it not necessary that we should travel by the shortest path? The safest is the shortest, Kuaga answered with a frown. But by following this bank 
we are turning our backs upon Mo. See? And he produced from his pocket an instrument which I did not know he possessed, a cheap mariner's compass. Bah! cried Kuwaga in anger, after he had looked at it a long time. That clock of the white man has an evil spirit within. See, its trembling finger points always in the direction of the great evil. It is bewitched. Cast it away. Kuwaga has already made fetish for this journey. But why should we travel in an entirely opposite direction to Mo, I argued, seeing that a crowd of greenish, impish-looking carriers had gathered around us, enjoying our controversy? For three score years Kuwaga has lived in the forest and on the plains, he answered, turning to me. He knows the direction of Mo. Oh, let him have his own way, Omar cried at last, finding persuasion of no avail. Then, turning to the Grand Vizier, he said in a firm note, Listen, Kuwaga, if by your obstinacy we are delayed one single day, I shall inform my mother of that fact, and you will assuredly lose your office, and most likely your head also. Therefore act as you think fit. Omar, Prince of Mo, has spoken. Kuwaga bore the staff of the great white queen unto thee. He is the trusted of the Naya, if not of her son, the negro answered, turning away. But in that brief instant I noticed an expression on his face of relentless cruelty, an expression such as one might expect to see upon the face of a murderer. Truth to tell, I had never liked Kuwaga. Now I instinctively hated him. But ere he had strode a dozen paces, he turned back smiling, saying, I mean no defiance to the son of my queen. He is in my charge, and I will take him safely back unto Mo, the city with walls unbreakable, the capital of the kingdom unconquerable. I shall act as I have decided, Omar answered with true princely hauteur. The rulers of Mo never depart from their word. Very well, the other answered, laughing, at the same time lighting his pipe with cool indifference. Then, glancing round to see that all was ready, he shouted an order to the headman, and the string of carriers moved away, jabbering and shouting, down the path, into the dark, gloomy forest depths. In ill humor we followed. I must confess that towards Kuwaga I entertained an ill-defined feeling of distrust. Once or twice during that day's march in the dull dispiriting gloom, almost every ray of daylight being shut out by the thick canopy of creepers spreading from tree to tree, I had caught Omar surreptitiously consulting his pocket compass, and saw upon his face a look of anxiety. Yet, on the other hand, Kuwaga had become particularly jocular, and the carriers were now singing snatches of songs, joking and laughing good-humoredly at each other's misfortunes whereas on her journey from the coast to the river they had generally preserved a sullen silence. No, try how I would, I could not rid myself of the thought that there was something very mysterious in Kuwaga's actions. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com